and welcome to For Your Reconsideration, a film podcast which takes a movie from bygone times, pops it in the old Betamax to see whether we should invest in the 4K remaster. I'm Rob and here are Simon and James. How are you boys? I like that one, Rob. That was a good one. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Just write that one ten minutes ago. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, literally ten minutes. No, actually, um, because I got writing something else uh, during the... the, Because we we delayed our recording slightly. Um, So that was literally, oh my God, we're going on in 90 seconds. What can I I put together? So I'm sorry it wasn't more uh, either smutty or better wordplay. I apologize. No, I, I, no, I liked it. I genuinely liked it. I thought it was good. Oh, good. 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 Summary. I like this live critique of the intros that we're doing. <laughs> <laughs> I think it deserves it. You know, if you're going to write it 90 seconds before going on air, it definitely deserves a word. Yeah. <laughs> but are you chaps okay? Are you all right? Good, mate. I, I'm a bit down in the dumps, oh, no. to be honest with you, Rob. Uh, I've got to be honest. I don't want to bring the pod down, but, you know, I'm still reeling from the fact that, like, the rest of film Twitter, we were blocked by the director of Green Street (laughs) Hooligans yesterday, having had no interaction, not following said director. And all I can say about this is... Oh, fuck off. You're having a bubble. (laughs) (laughs) Fuck off. You're having a bubble. Simon, I was about to say during, uh, I was, I I mean, obviously this has been weighing on my mind a lot as well. Um, Deeply weighing. Uh, Could you, Sai, could you play something like funerally or harrowing during this part? I can can try. Thank you very much. (laughs) So, I mean, it's, it's, it's elicited a deep sort of trauma logging onto Twitter and finding we'd been blocked, blocked by a film director. Um, and, you know, we're not going to name any names, although James has made a strong illusion <laughs> as to who that might be. But we've been cancelled. Listen, we love interacting and chatting with our friends and listeners on Twitter, but make no mistake, film Twitter is, by and large, a gross place to be at the best of times. Divisiveness, snootiness, gatekeeping, all these things are there and they're all very real. There are a number of things that this said director has said that got this person into trouble that I do agree with about how a love of old cinema can be used to put people down and is often used as an elitist tool uh, to denigrate people in the wider conversation of movies. But what I don't agree with and what I believe my lovely colleagues here will also stand by is that discounting any movie from the conversation is necessary or helpful. Cinema is an ever-evolving art form that takes so many wonderful shapes and sizes and to close off any part of it is to cheapen the conversation and only serves to divide. Film for me growing up was a bonding agent. It was glue. It brought me closer to loved members of my family and it helped me find like-minded souls who've become lifelong friends. That's like, oh, he's talking about us, I was going to allude to you guys, <laughs> but that was, your, that was the big nod there, guys. <laughs> <laughs> There have been a few greater joys, very genuinely to me, than discovering movies with you guys and fellow people who get me, you know, and let me dig the movies that I dig, free from judgment, dismissal, or a callous word. And these things happen, but this does not help the the thing that we love, which is cinema, which is movies. It's fine if you want to silence a voice that causes you sadness. That's great. I do the same thing to those people, you know, to... Um, oh, the MAGA Trump guys on Twitter. I, I, if, if any of that comes out, it's silence time because 
it's it can be so much better for, for for the person's own mental well-being to just cut those voices out. But if you cancel voices based solely on knee-jerk reaction or via a stubborn sense of ignorance, that can't help the bigger picture of conversation. I truly don't know what FYR has done to cause such of this sadness. <laughs> but for me, it's completely laughable. And it's more indicative of the state of film criticism as a whole. And nothing more embodies this than the state of things on Twitter. The great thing about art, and especially art like cinema, is that there's so much of it and it's so varied. There truly is something for every mood, every occasion, every person. I flip in love Van Damme. You guys, you took a long time to come to the table, but I got you there in the end. <laughs> <laughs> but if a filmmaker dismisses a viewer's opinion, what is it you're really doing it for? Who are you making films for? If you don't listen to those voices that make up your audience, what are you doing this for? So for me, this is a good time to remind ourselves that this isn't a big issue. We love movies. I mean, this is movies we're talking about here. It's not key societal human issues like racial inequality, LGBTQ awareness, the injustices of civilians living in war zones in the Middle East. This is movies. These are what we put on in an evening to while away our hours. Be good to each other. Be kind. Be respectful of each other's choices and let everyone enjoy what they want to enjoy. Cost nothing and it hurts a lot less than fighting. And as soon as we realise that film is something for all people, Places like film Twitter can recover and it can be a nice place again. Because at the end of the day, we're all the same. We love movies. And that should bond us and bond the conversation and keep us all in a respectful and peaceful and even keel. But it's not happening. Sorry, fellas, but I wanted to say that. That was really good. <laughs> Getting quite emotional, Rob. No, that was really good. It's rousing. But that's exactly what we stand for, isn't it? It is. But, it is. yeah, it, it is a massive annoyance when you just find... And it's not just Phil, it's just Twitter in general. Like, football Twitter is another one as well. Oh, yeah, yeah. It just turns into arguments. And you're just like, just stop shouting at each other. <laughs> it's, it's useless. It helps nobody or nothing. It just makes us all look stupid. And we're now we're innocent victims. We're caught in the crossfire of a Twitter beef that we didn't even get involved in. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I don't understand why. But to be honest, I'm I'm quite glad. To be honest. I, I, truthfully, I'm glad because it seems like a lot of other you know well-rounded, well-liked people, you know, like our friends at Filmbusters, they've been cancelled too. Why? What? Well, what? It's the, 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 it, was it was a blockchain, chain blocking, wasn't, it? wasn't yeah. it? Yeah, so she had an argument with some... Per- I don't know who it was, because I never saw the argument. I just saw the fallout of it all. <laughs> and she had this discussion about old films, and then she basically blocked everyone who follows that person or is followed by that person. So tangentially must, linked to that person. Yeah, anyway. so we we must have some vague connection to that person, and we we're oh, we're gosh. part of that the radius of the the, the the big block thing. But I'm not going to lose any sleep over it. I don't care. Well, no. <laughs> no, but it's like, but but film Twitter is rancid at times, you know, and that this only fuels that is rancidity a word? <laughs> I think but we can like make a, it one. Because this week was Scorsese, the Scorsese thing again, mm. and the cycle of that is just the same all the time. Like Scorsese will say something and write an essay, which is a well-rounded, well-worded piece of, you know, critique. Super polite as well. Yeah, really yeah. nice. <laughs> yeah. Like it's, it's super Look at polite, his eyebrows. He's a lovely old man. <laughs> <laughs> In the instance of Scorsese, like what he was saying 
I don't know what people were getting angry at. It was the least controversial thing I've ever seen. It really was, wasn't it? Really, really was. It was essentially just saying you're banding everything into one type of thing. You know, everything is on the same level, basically, by calling it this word content. Mm. And because of that, and because of the nature of how all this stuff is consumed, he's worried that films and artistic cinema will get lost because of the nature of people how people treat tiktok for instance where everything lives and dies in um in like a mm. week or something and that's all he was saying yeah. <laughs> no, it's, and, it's just a guy defending his job yeah. he's protecting the art that he loves why why would anyone get upset about that i don't understand you don't have to get upset honestly trust me people out there seriously Life is so much nicer when you don't get upset. It really is. You don't. Very true. I mean, it I is. get very angry. Those who follow me on Twitter. <laughs> yeah. but, uh, you know, you said that word echo chamber, Rob, and that's exactly what it is. But there are some. The thing I've enjoyed, especially since doing this pod and since having the account on Twitter, we have met through digital means some amazing people and some really mm. nice people and people who share our sort of whole world view on films that yeah. we're here to love films. We're not here to, you know, pick on the tiniest detail and, and no. go to town yeah. over it and smugly dismiss 100%. anyone who's been working their nuts off to create this two hour piece of entertainment. So yeah, I think by and large, there's you know it's annoying how the shit rises to the top <laughs> in Twitter's case. Yeah, everyone's just so outraged all the time. I mean, the point, the other thing that Scorsese said that was mega controversial is like, I don't think an algorithm should be curating what you exactly. would like yeah, in the future. Yeah. It's like, yeah, you know, that's not gatekeeping. That's like, oh, well, you know, if you like this type of film, perhaps you'll like all these other types of films as well. But if you go with an algorithm, it'll just go. If you like superhero films, then it'll just go superhero, super, and then the algorithm will dictate what is made in the future, and then everything will just be the same, and you won't explore anything outside. That's all he was saying. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. I think the funniest thing to come out of all that thing was when that person put a picture up about saying, oh, he's just annoyed because Marvel is more varied than his filmography, and it described uh, Captain America like that. I mean, that is that's it dis- <laughs> It described Captain America 2 Winter Soldier as um, <laughs> a surreal, what was it? A surreal avant-garde political thriller. Right, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, oh, fuck off. I love that movie with all my heart. I know you do. Hell, you are stretching calling it a surreal <laughs> avant-garde political thriller. If I may, I think that was just top-tier shithousing. I really do. do. So? I think, yeah, I think someone's having a right laugh with that. I would like to think so, anyway. Um, oh, and oh, if so it's on that basis, me. I enjoyed it immensely. I did enjoy it. Either way, either way, I enjoyed I enjoyed it. But the thing is, like, we're allowed to enjoy that, and we're allowed to enjoy that. We can do yeah, both. Exactly. There's no... It, look, seriously, I, I mean, I adore Van Damme movies. Adore them. Do I think he deserves to have his own streaming platform? No. <laughs> So you'd definitely sign up, though, wouldn't you, Rob? If you did, of course I would. Like, what would it be called? Like Van Damme Plus or Van Damme? <laughs> you know, uh, Van Damme Now. Oh yeah, Van Damme Now. I'm in. <laughs> How much is it? I know. <laughs> and this is the entire 
JCVD back catalogue. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the entire catalogue, yeah. We're, we're like all the straight to DVD stuff, um, all the series, even that, you know, like the um, Maximum Risk with Natasha Henstridge around 2000. We'll have that as well. We should we should do it. We should curate it. Uh, we, yeah. should we should curate it. <laughs> well, watch out. We'll get called gatekeepers now. <laughs> They only give us the uh, the art house uh, Van Damme movies. They don't give us like the double T. Uh, t- double t- double t- <laughs> <laughs> Mickey Rourke's in that one. It is art house. It is. <laughs> and Dennis Rodman. Dennis you can't Rodman. get more artistic than Dennis Rodman. That is avant garde. <laughs> It's a brilliant film. <laughs> uh, coming to a parish near you soon, I think. <laughs> um, anyway. Um, yeah, sorry. Massive segue. A lovely 15-minute segue before we've done anything. Um, but uh, what have you guys been watching this week? Uh, we'll make this super quick. because <laughs> for, for Simon's sake, to be honest. Um, so I watched Greenland, uh, the uh, disaster movie that was added to Amazon Prime recently. And uh, you know the last 12 months has really done a number on you emotionally when you are you find yourself bursting into tears on two separate occasions during a Jerry Butler movie. <laughs> but, you know, this is the world we live in Jerry now. Jerry Butler! <laughs> Rob, have you seen it? No, no, I haven't, I haven't. Would it be my bag? It's very good. Oh, wicked. Very good. It's yeah. excellent. It's like a super good disaster movie. And yeah, made me cry twice. I'm not ashamed to admit it. It was really good. That's amazing. And then uh, another one that I caught up with on Netflix, uh, Calm With Horses. I think you've seen this, Simon. Yes, I saw it and was uh, I, I bought the soundtrack almost immediately um, on vinyl because it blew me away. Yeah, <laughs> the soundtrack I, I, so I, good. I couldn't agree more. I was totally blown away by it. It's a brilliantly shot and scored emotional thriller set in Ireland and features an incredible lead performance from this actor by the name of Cosmo Jarvis. I'd never heard of this guy before, or the director for that matter, but I'll be keeping an eye out for what they do next. Absolutely fantastic film. Really, really, really good. good. Uh, Barry Cogan's it? in it as well, isn't he? He's yeah. like the little shitbag in it, um, and he's very good. <laughs> Great movie. It's a really good film. It's a really, very good... It's proper, like, we would have loved it at uni, I think. It's that really? sort of film. It's yeah, got a it's Dead really Man's Shoes vibe to it. But then all of a sudden it'll have these really slick uh, thriller elements to it. Like there's a car chase at one point so that's incredibly oh, cool. well done. And like, yeah, it's, it's it, I really, really enjoyed it. I'm glad you enjoyed it. Where, um, what was it called and where can we see it? Because uh, I, I misheard Calm with Horses. Calm with Horses and it's right. on Netflix. I think it yeah. might have a different title in the US, but I don't know it that. It did have a different title in the US, yeah. Because sure I thought you said Khan with Horses, like Star Trek to like, Khan! <laughs> <laughs> Crisp. What about you, Sai? Well, uh, yeah, with, with Valentine's Weekend paired with... Because uh, Valentine's Weekend was last weekend. Um, paired with the fact me and the other half had to self-isolate because of a potential COVID scare. Um, <sighs> we've watched so many films this week. But because we have to be quick, I'll try not to go for a while. <laughs> um, But yes, uh, the, the, the big one really was... I'm not sure James will be happy about this, but uh, we took another trip to Middle Earth to watch all the Hobbit movies in, in a day. Oh, um, in a day! Oh Christ! Yeah. Do you live in Guantanamo Bay? <laughs> I'm not dissing him. I like Peter Jackson. Shut up, James. <laughs> Nobbed. <laughs> I'd never seen him, and Jess has been trying to make me get me to watch them for ages, and I finally caved. I was like, you know, we're not doing anything today. 
we can't go outside, so yeah, why not? Like, why not watch these three three-hour movies? She did what push for the extended versions, but the second one is four and a half hours long. I was like, no, I am not. I am drawing the line hours. at four and a half hours long. Um, but no, I watched them. I, I really enjoyed them. I really, really enjoyed them. Maybe more so than Lord of the Rings, actually, because right, okay. very cool. I'm not sure if my opinion would have been the same if I was in a cinema on one of the creaky old chairs and, you know, really hurt my ass because the <laughs> so it was a really, you know, really nice um, sofa and, you know, toilet breaks and a constant stream of snacks. Um, but I, I just, I honestly thought they were like a real step up from the Lord of the Rings. Like, you know, Peter Jackson had grown as a filmmaker and the crew had, had been, uh, you know, grow- and then technology as well had grown as well and become better because... I thought the VFX were like really faultless in this one. Like rewatching the nice. other rings, like particularly the third one, it was, it was a bit shonky in places. But this just looked amazing. And this was this was what ten years going on ten years somewhere. Like yeah, that, yeah, 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 something like that. Yeah. Didn't he get nailed for high frame rate at the time? Wasn't a lot of people really upset oh, with him yeah, doing the, the higher there? frame rate on the cinema release? Yeah, that's the reason I didn't go to the cinema to watch it because. Um, I'm just I'm such an old fashioned person when it comes to things like that, like frame rate things. Uh, there's just no need to change. And it, for me, it's like when you've got your telly turned onto that true motion bollocks, and it yeah, just makes it yeah. look like a soap opera, and it it just doesn't. It sit just right makes with me feel sick. Eyes. Yeah, I just feel a bit sick. Have you seen that Rick Astley video that's been put into sixty frames per second? No, I don't. Oh. It's fucking terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> it just doesn't. It just doesn't look natural to me. I don't. There's just some. It just doesn't doesn't feel right but um yeah no I, I really really enjoyed them i just thought the pace of the narrative like was way better than the lord of the rings ones and it was the action really kicked out and they're just above all really good fun uh tim from the office is just a right laugh as bilbo back <laughs> it's just really funny um no i loved it i, I really really enjoyed it and then the, the, the a last quick one was i on valentine's day watched casablanca which i think you watched the other week james i did yeah, yeah you did james it. didn't you Lovely, nice golden age classic, wasn't it? It's just, it's yeah. just really good, deserving of all its praise. You know, I, you know, it is a classic of golden age cinema. You can see why. It's just really, really good. I'm, I'm sorry, Sai, you're not allowed to like it anymore, mate. Um, <laughs> I'm afraid it's it's too old. Yeah, but uh, it just annoyed how Rick. Um, Humphrey Bogart was about looked about sixty in it, and he's supposed yeah. to be like, like <laughs> fuck off. Is he thirty seven? He's really old. <laughs> Other than that, it's great. It's really good. Wicked. Wicked. Um, I uh, watched... I, it was brilliant. You know, on Valentine's Day weekend, like my son said to me on Saturday morning, I said, what do you want to do this weekend? And he said, I just want to watch James Bond movies and King Kong. <laughs> and I'm like, dude, we can do this. We're, this is brilliant. So, nice. um <laughs> yeah, but we, it was a great weekend. So I won't go through all of that. But what I will go through is um, I managed to tack on my all-time favourite Harry Harryhausen movie, Valley of Guanji, on the end. Um, Cowboys versus Dinosaurs. I know I've talked about it before, but it was just so great seeing it again. Blu-ray again. Oh, my word. Seeing that. It's just such a joy. The dating of those amazing effects 60 years down the line is just 
Um, oh, it's just so ace. Just so iconic, though, isn't it? That that style of anime. It is, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. But I also watched the first three episodes of Gangs of London. Um, I know I'm a bit late to the oh. party here. It was a couple of years ago. Um, really enjoyed it. Wow, there's a lot of uh, bombast in that show. The first episode is off its head. It's like it's just like the raid in London. It's off its mm. head. Bones getting broken. There's a really like long take fight in a pub, isn't there? Just, there is, yeah, yeah. Insanely yeah. good. I need to go back to it. It's good, I, yeah, man. I um, watched the pilot and then didn't watch the rest of it. I don't know why. I must have got distracted by something. Oh, there's, there's a scene in the third episode, I think it is. There's a scene on a caravan park, which is um, one of the hardest hitting things I think I've seen in UK television, I think, actually. Yeah. That was absolutely... Yeah, it, so it's... But the, I mean, the cast is amazing, isn't it? I mean, you get these people in. It's so good. So, yeah, really, really enjoyed that. Looking forward to the next few episodes. Um, so, yeah, um... We, well, obviously, we know what tonight's movie is, but it got us chatting on the old behind the scenes about dystopias. Is that correct? Yes. So what uh, I want to ask what your guys most, uh, and the listeners, uh, most memorable dystopian futures in cinema were. And I say memorable because you can't say favourite because it's usually quite depressing. (laughs) Yeah. uh, It's so interesting you say that because I've had to separate it between places I like um, and would live, uh, but places that um, I enjoy watching, but would never like to be. Never ever. be. Thank there. you. <laughs> yeah, never be there. Thank you. Yeah. What about what you start, James? What do you think? So, uh, as I normally do now, I just threw this out to the listeners because I don't want to do any of my own work. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, yeah, we had a few responses uh, on Twitter, uh, FYR Film Pod. So, Billy Barr came back with i just keep waiting for this to turn up on real saturday night tv and it's of course the running man starring oh Arnold yeah Schwarzenegger. yeah that's definitely a dystopia isn't it oh yeah what that's a the lovely film tune, isn't it yes yeah, yeah. Tune's wicked on running man. <laughs> i can't believe they haven't done that not with the actual murders but a version of it where people don't get <laughs> murdered i think that'd be really popular on a saturday night <laughs> anton deck fronting it yeah why not <laughs> Uh, LJ Human um, puts up Battle Royale, so a bit of a game show theme oh, we've got yo, going yeah. on here I as well. I love Battle Royale. So yeah. Big up, LJ. And uh, next to the aisle, come back with the fifth element, which is Ooh, a really yeah. well-realised dystopia, isn't it? Mm. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> what about you, Rob? Um, I, please, dear God, I don't want to spend a second in the world of children of men. Thank you very much. <laughs> don't. Put me there, not just because of Schmeichel Hummus. Um, <laughs> um, Total Recall, um, that place is rad. I yep. don't think I want to go there, but <laughs> Verhoeven's vision of the future is incredible. Um, I really like that Terminator Salvation movie with um, Bale um, getting upset. And Joe, um, so do I. I really I, like, I really like it. Um, and I, I would have watched more adventures with that cast in that setup. I really would. With Sam Worthington, that was it, wasn't it? Um, yeah. But um, I think one of my favourites is Reign of Fire. Oh, great shout. Yeah, I really like that. Potential for a future episode as well, I think. It is, yeah. Um, but like people like living in sort of like communes in old castles, fending off um, dragons. <laughs> I mean, how wicked is that? <laughs> I mean, just bare, bare bones. Same. Another, Another Christian, Christian Bale, Bale wasteland yeah. as well. Yes, yes. He loves his dystopias because uh, Equilibrium as well is a... Yeah, yeah, yeah. That is a good shout for a dystopia, definitely. Crisp. What about you, Si? 
I think the daddy for me is Blade Runner. I just think the the whole uh, yeah yeah the original one Ridley Scott did just set the template for a lot of that dystopian stuff. And then the sequel, which I think is who, who directed that? Um, it was Danny I believe his name was <laughs> Dennis Villanueva. Yes. Um, uh, I need to. We need to bring. We need to get questions. Bring him in every week. <laughs> Dennis. Dennis Villeneuve. Um, Villeneuve. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I. I just loved that sequel, and it. It was one of those. What really? I remember walking out of the cinema watching that, and everyone was saying how shit it was, and I just. Oh. My heart broke into a thousand pieces. I was like, "That was one of the most beautiful, wonderful films I've ever seen." And you're all saying, <laughs> "You're all saying it was rubbish," and it was just, yeah, I just. Couldn't what do you it. want? What do you yeah. want? <laughs> but uh, Looper's another one. I absolutely love. Looper. Oh yes, Looper. The last thing I'll say was um, when I was younger, I had a, a massive thing of like cyberpunk mangas, so like Akira, the classic Akira, and then Appleseed, and. Um, Ghost in the Shell as well, which had a much derided remake by Rupert Sanders, starring famously starring Scarlett Johansson. Well, infamously starring Scarlett Johansson, um, which I actually quite liked. Um, so yeah, those I love. I love that cyberpunk manga feel. Wicked, wicked, and um, that. All that discussion made me want to do is watch a lot of films. <laughs> I just want to watch all of those and like, I'm like, oh yeah, this is cool and this is cool. Oh yeah. Um, it, well, that that leads us perfectly onto tonight's film. Um, after James um, said it on last week, uh, my children's eardrums are shredded. Um, James, would you would you would you introduce tonight's film, please? It's not my pick, Rob. I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. <laughs> sorry. This is just. This is like the Busey <laughs> Brothers all over again. <laughs> they could host the uh, the new version of the Running Man. I think they could. I think, and I think anyone would be better than me at hosting this particular podcast. Say, <laughs> <laughs> would you honestly, Say, would you uh, please? It's your pick. Would you introduce tonight's film for us? I'm feeling like the the, the long lost, forgotten, genetically honestly, inferior forgive brother me, at the moment. Man, forgive me. <laughs> Oh dear! Uh, but yes, the ge- genetic inferiority is quite the subject of this game. <laughs> um, so yes, we are off into the not too distant future to a world where a genetically inferior yet extremely pretty man assumes the identity of another pretty man in order to pursue his lifelong dream of space travel. Uh, this is Andrew Nichols' uh, debut film. Gotta <laughs> Genetics, what can it mean? The ability to perfect the physical and mental characteristics of every unborn child. In the not too distant future, our DNA will determine everything about us. A minute drop of blood, saliva, or a single hair determines where you can work, who you should marry, what you're capable of achieving. In a society 
where success is determined by science. Divided by the standards of perfection. One man's only chance... How do you expect to pull this off? I don't know exactly. ...is to hide his own identity. This is the last day that you're going to be you and I'm going to be me. ...by borrowing someone else's. Congratulations. What about the interview? That was it. Do you think you'd be doing what you're doing if it wasn't for who you are, what you are? I have a feeling he might be there under false pretenses, playing somebody else's hand. We've got my picture plastered up all over the place. They'll recognize me. They won't recognize me. They'll recognize me. I don't recognize you. They won't believe that one of their elite could have suckered them all this time. They are going to find me. But in a place where any cell from any part of your body can betray you, how do you hide? When we all shed 500 million cells a day. Ethan Hawke, Uma Thurman, welcome to Gattaca. So Sai Gattaca, um, really like that title. Um, why did you pick it? So I had actually totally forgotten about this film until I saw it pop up on my Instagram feed from like a film account. You know, one of the ones where it's like a color palette one where it'll have a shot from a movie and then under the shot, it'll have like a swatch of all the colors, like the color palette of, of the particular scene. It's really, they're really, there's quite a few of them, really cool. There was a shot from this film on one of those and I was like, oh yeah, Gattaca, that's a, a really good film. And considering it totally drifted from my memory, I was like, oh, maybe it's a good film to revisit and bring to you two fine gentlemen on this humble little podcast. E. So, yeah. Oh, absolutely brilliant. Um, what's your relationship with it, James? I've seen it before. I couldn't tell you when. Pro- I want to say when I was at university, to be honest. I probably saw it then uh, and enjoyed it. And then, like Simon, it just completely drifted from my memory. Yeah. Um, 97 was right in the peak of me falling in love with movies. Um, so I was getting, um, I think at that point, my birthday present was um, from my mum and dad was a year's subscription of Empire and my Christmas present was a year's subscription of Total Film. Lovely. <laughs> so, um, so Gattaca was featured quite heavily on all those things. But I remember the um, the pictures, the art, you know, the the sort of the, what are they called? The promo images. And how striking they were. And it stuck in my memory. And that is literally it. Um, so I remember it from those days. I remember the poster and its unique design of the, like the white lines used to to frame different characters. And there's a DNA helix and stuff like that in there. Um, so um, I filed all that away and then promptly never watched it. <laughs> so um this is a first watch for me. First watch, nice. Lovely. Nice. Mm, mm. Um so uh we well we must get on to qualification. Um oh no, firstly, should we ask what our listeners thought, our, our friends in the um in the Twitter world, what did they have to say about Gattaca? Yeah, so we put up on FYR Film Pod, you know, what film that we're covering, and then we invite you to come and tell us what you think about it. And a weird trend emerged with this one. So we got this comment from Alan Christian. So 
I had uh, had a biology teacher in high school make us watch this in class once. It was kind of like showing Inglorious Bastards in a history class, but I liked it. <laughs> Probably the first time I ever enjoyed a Jude Law performance. So then we got uh, another tweet from our friends uh, down under, the Movie Journey podcast. They had to study this film in school. Easily watched it at least 15 times that year. Whoa. Then, remarkably, we had a third person come to us and say, I remember watching it numerous times in my RE lessons for some reason. Can't complain. <laughs> Who were these teachers who were throwing Gattaca <laughs> on at the end of term? I'll throw, I'll throw a fourth one in. The first time I saw this was in biology as well. Um, no. I had, I had a biology teacher. She was, I won't name names because it's really harsh, but she was... The shittest teacher I have ever had in my life. Was Quite glad you didn't close. name and shame. She was she was that sort of person. She she told everyone on their first day that if you put an egg in the microwave, a chick would grow out of it. So everyone went home and put an egg in the microwave and then ruined their microwaves because of exploding eggs. And it was like, oh, you didn't believe me, did you? It's like, you're the biology teacher. Of course I believed you. I'm 12 oh. years old. <laughs> of course I'm going to believe you. Um, and yeah, she, she tried to... Um, hide the fact she was a terrible teacher by bribing us with movies and this was one of the movies <laughs> no way uh, so outside of um, teachers uh, killing time at the end of term with Gattaca um, <laughs> we also had comments from uh, Chris Goldie stylish intelligent grown up science fiction full of big ideas but kept grounded by he's put terrified performances here <laughs> but I'm assuming that means terrific performances either all works <laughs> Batman Surfs on Twitter, one of my favourite films. Caught it late one night as a kid and it blew my tiny mind. And uh, Johnny Rico's jawline. I just love some Twitter handles. They're so good. (laughs) Yeah, that's a class one. (laughs) The world building in it is immersive and all the performances are spot on. It gives me strong Philip K. Dick vibes, which is always a plus. Nice. Good connection. Good shout, actually. I didn't think of that, but that's very spot on. You listeners... You listeners came up with the goods again. Thank you. Um, uh, James, while I've still got you, um, let's look at qualification here. Budget and box office, what are we talking? Yes. uh, So uh, a little bit of backstory regarding Andrew Nichols. So in 1993, he sold his spec script for The Truman Show for $1 million, which is still a big sale nowadays, but huge back then. And the heat around him led to a $2 million payday to write and direct Gattaca for Sony. The budget for this film was a sizable $36 million. For a debut, that's a lot, isn't it? Yeah. You know what struck me as well? This movie came out before The Truman Show. Mm. This came out in 97. The Truman Show didn't come out until 98. Wow. That, so he sold the spec script, obviously had a lot of heat, and then managed to set this project up, write it and direct it and put it out before the script that had got him all the heat in the first place. That's incredible. He didn't direct Truman Show, though, did he? He, he just wrote No, Peter it. Weir directed that. Wow. Which is a superb movie. Absolutely. It really is, class. actually. It really is a good movie. But I, did, I actually did, I didn't know he'd written that. Um, that's amazing. Um, I've just had a quick glance through his filmography. Um, um, where, I mean, we would know him from um, Lord of War, I suppose. Yep. Um, Simone. That's the yep. Pacino one, isn't it? With the... AI woman. Yeah, it is, yeah. Um, the host. I think that's a Stephanie Mayer adaptation, that one. Oh, is it? Right. Yeah. Um, um, he's got um, Monopoly that's been announced as writer. 
Oh, it's the Monopoly movie. Yeah. Uh, the movie centers on a boy from the game's modest Baltic Avenue. This is courtesy of IMDb. On a quest to make a fortune. Um, star Kevin Hart. Wow. <laughs> Fascinating combination of people. Yeah, and he also directed uh, Ethan Hawke again in Good Kill, which is a, uh, a movie about a drone pilot. Uh, which is very good as well. Oh, nice. So Gattaca was released in theatres on October 24th, 1997. We didn't get it in the UK until 1998. That's so weird that the release window used to be like that. You wouldn't get a movie until like six months afterwards. I I remember that. It used to be ages, didn't it? I always remember Apollo 13 was like like a year after. You're like, what? (laughs) (laughs) And when it opened, it didn't open strongly. So it opened at number five at the box office trailing I Know What You Did Last Summer, The Devil's Advocate, no, that's a mental movie, uh, <laughs> Kiss the Girls and Seven Years in Tibet. Uh, over the first weekend, the film brought in $4.3 million. It ended its theatrical run with a domestic total of $12.5 million and picked up a further $3.6 million worldwide for a total gross of $16.1 million against the aforementioned $36 million production budget. Wow. So, did not bring the bring the big bucks in, unfortunately. No, wow, that's fascinating. And looking at those films that it was up against, this is a better film than all of those, isn't it? Arguably, <laughs> I guess it's a. I, I guess you know. I mean, it's better than I know what you did last summer. That's for sure. No, that's the only one I'm dubious about. <laughs> <laughs> It's quite lowly, though, isn't it? That number five. Yeah, yeah, it is. Not good. I suppose the others have got. So I know what you did last summer. It's a year after Scream, isn't it? Slashers are yeah. really hot at the time. The Devil's Advocate, Keanu, big star, Pacino. Al Pacino, Kiss the Girls is a book adaptation with Morgan yeah. Freeman, isn't it? Seven Years in Tibet is Brad Pitt, so it's not yes, surprising probably, that yeah. it probably struggled. It hasn't got that yeah. sort of marquee. You know, Ethan Hawke is well-known, yeah. but I still get the impression that in the mid-90s, they're still trying to break him as a leading yeah. man. Yeah, Uma yeah, Thurman yeah. is well-known, but again, sti- you know, Pulp Fiction was a, was a few years before that. Jude Law is pretty much unknown to the point that he's, I think, fourth build in this movie after Alan Arkin. Yeah, yeah he's, he looks very young in this, doesn't he? Yeah. I could, I, oh, yeah. Like, um, what's that film, you know, like... I didn't know Dan Aykroyd was in this picture. Um, <laughs> I, like it was me. Like, I didn't know Jude Law was in this picture. Yeah, it's 1999 before he really pops. He's still. This is yeah. sort of his first big American film. Right. So yeah, I guess it probably just didn't have the star power, and it's quite a cerebral film, isn't it? It is. Yeah. I don't know what the marketing campaign was like, but I think it was probably quite tough to market because mm. it's sort of a, sci- a cerebral sci-fi film with heavy ideas. Yeah. yeah, it feels like they give a passion project to a writer-director before he'd earned the right to make it sort of thing. Yeah. So he hasn't got a, fo- you know, as a writer-director, he's not really got a following from the public. They don't know who he is. The film hasn't This is his first yet. produced credit. This is his first, yeah, exactly. It's wow. his first... You know, a film like this, which is which feels very subdued, and it's sci-fi as well, which is one of the most divisive genres in cinema. So yeah, it's a curious one how they signed off this big budget to to the a new new For a first time writer director yeah. who the script that got him all the heat in the first place. That movie hasn't even come out yet. Mm. It, I think sometimes it shows you what a gamble it can be. 
I think sometimes studios get worried. It's like, well, they've just bought his spec script for a million dollars. This guy might be a genius. What if he's Kubrick and we didn't back him with this other script? Yeah. You know, and then they and then they panic and they push it out there. And you know, not this is not any detriment to the. I'm not talking about the quality of the film here, but obviously didn't have the track record to sort of justify that mm. that budget. But obviously they liked the script and thought that, yeah. given the heat that he had with the other project, that it was a worthwhile investment. Yeah, because you're not going to get people going like, "Oh, the new Andrew Nichol film's out. Let me go and I'll go and watch that. I don't care what it is," because he hasn't made those films to get the public on side yet. So yeah, it's a gamble is definitely yeah. the word. A punt. That's <laughs> <laughs> crazy. So we know where we stand on the numbers. What about critical reception then, Ty? It, it's a curious one. This uh, when it comes to critical reception, and you know, as I sort of quickly said there most you know like most science fiction movies it, it was quite divisive on release um it's actually certified fresh on rotten tomatoes it's got 82 percent on the critical side which does seem quite lofty on the surface and 87 percent for audience again which is like definitely one of the highest ones we've done on that side of things but then you look at metacritic where it's got a distinctly lower mark of 64 and you dig through some of the reviews of the time when it was released and it just seems like it wasn't that well received in the papers. You know, the places that would they would hope would get bums on seats and, and give it good press. Um, I'm guessing, because I haven't looked through every one of them, but I'm guessing the reason the Rotten Tomatoes score so high is because it's a there's a lot of hindsight reviews in there, you know, like revisits and retrospective reviews. Um, same for the audience one. But when you look at Metacritic, 64 isn't terrible, but it's not. You know, it's, it's 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 still quite a way off being a four or five star film, and yeah, papers in America just didn't didn't like it. Empire didn't like it over here. Um, but yeah, for a start, our good mate, our good old mate Mick Lasalle, he's not been on. He's back. He's back. Yes. Hey, Mick. He only gets the big films. Mick does. Oh, he only, what a you dude. know the big releases. Um, but he wasn't a fan. Sadly, he gave it two stars, and he and he felt that it just needed a jolt of adrenaline and a little more focus on the intellectual side of genetics rather than the physical side for it to be a more compelling story that was sort of mixed main problems with it um as i say empire weren't that into it they gave it two stars as well ebe liked it though he he was into it he gave it three and a half out of his customary four which is really high actually and said it was one of the smartest and most provocative of science fiction films and a thriller with great ideas so yeah he really liked it but um, I, f- I feel bad mentioning this now, Rob, after your your lovely sort of rousing positive speech at the at the front, <laughs> of, front of the episode. But Heck. there was one review that really irked me, um, which I caught from the Chicago Reader, and I know we don't like to be like overly negative at this part, and you know, especially towards people with opinions because everyone's allowed them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, th- there was this review from the Chicago Reader that said. I didn't care enough about Hawke's character to ignore a big problem in the story's logic. If this future has such an incredible biotechnology, why can't Jude Law get his damaged body parts fixed? And that was their main beef, and they just hate it. They give it, like, one star because of this logic leap. Yeah, I mean, I have these... I have these... I mean, we've just sent a probe to Mars. Why can't I fly? Why don't I have wings? (laughs) Oh, shit. Where's my jetpack? It doesn't exist. That's... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> criticisms like this just really annoy me and it's like if i'm having a conversation with someone in the pub or um like a friend at work or something you know the same person who goes like oh i don't 
I don't like that film because it's unrealistic and they're talking about like X-Men or something. <laughs> but this is from an actual film critic and it just annoys me when they take, especially in science fiction, when they, they, they take something that is an invented concept. The whole world has been invented on yeah. science and the prospect of where science can go and they and, and it gets questioned to that degree. And I just don't, I just, it's not a valid form of criticism for me. If you're just going to say that's unrealistic, that wouldn't happen. Why would this person do that? Why did Jamie Lee Curtis run up the stairs in Halloween when she should have ran out of the garden and ring the police? You wouldn't have a movie then. Yeah. Yeah. And to get caught up on something like that. It's a fundamental understand, uh, misunderstanding of the world that a writer creates. So that exists. This doesn't. You can't, just because one thing exists doesn't mean that something else automatically then has to exist. That's not logical. It doesn't make sense. And it's the world that the writer has created. There's no there's no inference that just because this one thing can happen that anything else is possible now. Yeah. 100%. And people would have read that review in the paper and gone, oh, I don't want to see that then because I don't want this unrealistic movie. Yeah, even but though this is science fiction. <laughs> exactly. This is fiction. Fiction. I mean, of course he didn't think about it. It's not part of the world that he's created. Of course he didn't. Yeah. Or he probably went, well, would we have the technology for for us to fix Jude Law's legs? He's like, no, that's a creative decision that I'm making for this made-up future that I have created yeah. for this film. Yeah, it's a film! <laughs> uh. Exactly! It's just the finer, the finer details of uh, artistic licence and it, uh, it's the, for some people it's the bottom block of Jenga which makes it the, the whole thing fall down. Such a good phrase. Anyway. anyway. That's uh, that was my uh, weekly peeve. <laughs> weekly I think we're more annoyed than you know, so. <laughs> I know, yeah. <laughs> uh, so, sorry, Sai, did you have any others? No, I was just going to say the. F- let's go into the film. Let's uh, yeah, let's let's dive straight into the film. Um, from right straight away, opening quote and titles. We are in classy, classy territory when it comes to FYR. Such a great-looking movie. Philosophy. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, This is uh, beautiful, this film. Yeah. I think that's one of the things what stands straight out is how well it's shot and how beautifully shot it is. And it's got such a unique look um, in how it's shot and how it's lit. And it's just great. And, you know, it's this opening shot of, fingernails and hairs dropping to you know bouncing on a tile floor and it's all under a macro lens and it's just really blue and that's the backdrop to the credits coming up and it just turns out to be naked ethan hawk having a shave doing some lovely post-work exfoliating <laughs> yeah like um i've written here henched up ethan hawk is doing some nude grooming <laughs> he's, he's in good nick isn't he in this yeah, yeah this he's in good he's in good nick yeah such a handsome dude yeah, I think the, the title sequence is amazing. The Michael Nyman score is oh my God. superb. Really is. Oh, this is a revelation for me. Yeah, it's really beautiful, isn't it, the score? And it's quite sparing as well. It's not like mm. The Frighteners last week where it was just constant Danny Elfman. We're going upstairs. It's stripped down. It's very haunting, quite melancholy. I found it as well. Mm. Like, I just thought it was a wonderful, wonderful score. I really did. Um, and this twinned with the work of uh, Nickel, obviously, but also um, Slavomir Idziak as director of photography. Um, twinned with 
I mean, those three together, I feel like we're in like elite filmmaking territory here. You know, like uh, this is stunning stuff, what I'm seeing here. Yeah, it's a really elegant looking movie. It's really, really beautiful looking. I, um, just a quick note on uh, Mr. Idziak, Rob. Um, he was the director of photography on an Antoine Fuqua movie that you mentioned uh, on the last... No. The last King pod. Arthur? Yeah. <laughs> no. <laughs> wow. The totally oh forgotten word. Antoine Fuqua, Clive Owen, King Arthur movie. <laughs> he didn't shoot Magnificent Seven as well, did he? Oh, did he? <laughs> no, I think he only worked with him that one time. I think he was a Bruckheimer DP. Because he did Black Hawk Down as well. Did he? Although I think Ridley probably picks his own DP, to be honest. <laughs> oh, it's such a good job. Um, how would you characterise the look of the film? Yellow. <laughs> well, you know, like if we, we what do we call um, that other one? Uh, Dread was psychedelic grotty. Oh, yes, yeah. Have you invented a new term? I think I have, yeah. Um, vintagey near future? <laughs> Vintage, vintage, word. <laughs> <laughs> well, everything's quite clunky and chunky. I and love it. They yeah, like I love that about pressed it. suits, and they're all into stuff like you know, like classical music and jazz and yeah. stuff. Yeah. The the movie has this sort of like very. It's like it. Yeah, it's like a robust vintage future. It's weird. It's that retro future look, isn't it? Like it is. Yes. I know. I keep saying the Jetsons. It seems really basic to the cartoon, but that was a really <laughs> good example of it because it was very fifties, but it was in the future. Well, there's definitely noir overtones, isn't there? There is. Within yeah, this film. absolutely. Particularly when the feds get involved later on. Uh. <laughs> yeah, and it, it's got that like mid-century vibe in terms of the costumes and the cars as well. Even though they're all electric cars, they're all designed like they're from the 40s and 50s mm. and then you've got this brutalist architecture in all the buildings where it's just a horrible well not horrible like really bold sharp cornered um concrete buildings mm. and yeah it's, the aesthetic is great in this and like say that, that retro it? future vibe all the keyboards are big and clunky and i'm sure that's because it was 97 i don't think maybe it was an intentional thing yeah yeah I don't know, the, the flickering screens, though. I mean, you know, like the big boxy screens that they use later on to all, do all the analysis and stuff like that. Yeah. That all feels like um, like years before even Jurassic Park, which was four years earlier. Yeah. yeah. Oscar nominated for art direction, this film. Oh, oh ab- yeah. Deservedly so. deserved. It was, you know, out of one thing, you can have a problem with the, the fact that Jude Law couldn't get his legs fixed, I guess. But you, you have to appreciate the overall aesthetic of this film and how beautiful it looks and how beautiful other people look at it as well. Um, <laughs> and just how it sounds. It's just a well-put-together film. And for a first-time director, it's a very great-looking, great-sounding movie for a first-time director, isn't it? Never done anything yeah. previous to this. He's got a real sense of control, hasn't he, I think? Like, yes. He feels confident in the way that he's the, the film's shot. Everything's framed impeccably, um, scored beautifully. It's just great. And then in terms of the performances yes, as well. Yes, across the board. Every one of them, yeah. across the board, yeah. Yeah, it's very good. And a few faces that you, I, I, when I first watched this in biology, when I was <laughs> 13, 14 <laughs> years old, and I wouldn't, you know, I don't think I recognised anyone. Maybe Uma Thurman, possibly Ethan Hawke, but Alan Arkin wouldn't have known at the time. Now I obviously know yeah. he's a great actor and uh, Mr. Denslow from Basketball is in it as well. 
<laughs> I did laugh when I when he popped up. Is that <laughs> Ernest Borgnine? Yes, yes. yes. <laughs> He's probably got like two hundred credits to his name. Because <laughs> so, yeah, I know him from the um, the Brandon Lee straight to DVD offering Laser Mission. So um, yeah. <laughs> Gorgeous He's title. Just every laser mission. Oh, I want that one. Stick that in the uh, Is it more worrying that I, I spent 20 quid in 1999 getting it sent over on eBay from eBay? <laughs> Was it worth it? Uh, I watched it once. I haven't watched it since. <laughs> Still in the garage. <laughs> um, yeah, I, we. I mean... Should we do the setup for the film? Would that be easier? Yeah, I mean, well, I, I, uh, yeah, I was going to go in straight away with this. This you have because uh, it's embodied for me by this birthing sequence. Baby's born, and straight away they do this very like well, they do a heel prick test almost, don't they? And it gives you an immediate readout of the probabilities of the various ailments going off your newborn blood of what will ev- you'll eventually die of. Mm. Um, and hearing them read out next to a, a crying newborn was the weirdest thing like you'll probably you know 42 percent suicidal depression mm-hmm. uh 37 percent um this or, you know or cholesterol or whatever uh, and then it was yeah he's is uh, and in the case of our main character here which is vincent, vincent yes um he's got um, a heart condition because mm. he's naturally born they, they call them god children because in the in this not too distant future the the sort of I don't want to say fashionable, but the, the the common way of conceiving is is genetic manipulation, where you would go in and you would pick a a donor who's got good genes and will give good physical genes to your child. But uh, Vincent was born the old the good old fashioned way, um, much to the dismay of his his dad, who does you know their firstborn son, and as the tradition would be to name you know in America would be to to name your firstborn. You're saying he doesn't want to do that. He changes his name. He changes his mind because, because of all these ailments, which is really sad. It's like, oh, I, yeah. I don't want him. I don't want him to bear my name because he's gonna. They say he's probably the probability will die at thirty or something, isn't he? That's his like. Yeah, thirty two. I think his I mean, life deeply harrowing. But we are newborn baby, and you're writing their death sentence just, just, just fresh out I, the womb. I wound. just find it's it just mad. Depressing. But, uh, uh, with uh, and uh, welcome back to the podcast, Casey Jones, as well. Oh yes, there's loads yeah. in here. Yeah, there is. Well, he, there is loads in here. Yeah, it's, it's a very similar vibe to Predestination, isn't it? This film, it's got the. It is, yeah. It is, it's got the same sort of framing device, hasn't it? It has. It does, yeah, the, yeah, the VO, like a, a a real strong VO element to it, which you know turns a few people off because it might seem a bit sort of cheating in terms of storytelling, but. I think with it, because your your first act is basically him narrating his upbringing, isn't it? And you've got yeah this setup, and it's him just going through the the world building of everything going on and what this future is, and his upbringing in that future and how he's got to where he where he currently is, as um and 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 what he's doing. But yeah, it's it's very similar to to predestination in that sense. Mm. Uh, uh, yeah, they're like companion pieces for me, actually. At this point, I think um, there's um, obviously they press on with having this child, but there's um, a second child comes along, um, Anton, who is named after his father because they go the traditional route, don't yeah. they? And pick yes, him. he's like a, he's been genetically engineered to be a to be an absolute dude. Yeah, or whatever, I mean, it's you know. easy to pick a favourite, then, isn't it? I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> 
It really takes the hassle out of that decision. It's gonna be a no-brainer. <laughs> should we should we favour the guy who's gonna die at thirty-two? Which or? one is gonna look after us when we're old? Well, it's not gonna be him, is it? <laughs> it's not gonna be him. And if it's even if it's not the blinking heart disease, it's the chronic depression and cholesterol <laughs> that'll get to him. <laughs> It is it's such a depressing way of looking at life, isn't it? Um, but they have these like early scenes of growing up and swimming becomes a thing, you know, yeah. uh, swimming out to a certain point where you um, uh, they try to outdo each other a lot. And, and um, Anton is very aware of Vincent's um, physical uh, holdbacks. Well, perceived, isn't it? These are all just probabilities, yeah. aren't they? So yes. th- th- what I really like about the film is the... The idea that if you're naturally born versus being created, uh, engineered uh, before you were born, that automatically brings in this whole class divide, doesn't it? And that the Mm. naturally born children are less likely to succeed in life. So it brings these this this class divide, isn't it? And and the children are painfully aware of this as well. So Vincent is aware, has been made aware of his own perceived limitations for his entire life. Yeah. And his brother has been made aware of his own perceived superiority for his whole life. Yes. And that's sort of what the film is about, isn't it? It's about what are you destined to become based on your genetic coding. Yes. And can you ever break out of that? Exactly. Yeah, yeah, it's superb. All of these scenes are brilliant. And again, I think this comes down to the care and quality of the filmmaking again. And and I love all these swimming scenes. Um, As in, like, the photography. I'm... (laughs) Not to be swimming myself, so <laughs> it's not like flipping X swimming scenes rad. Uh, it's more just um, it all looks beautiful. The green yeah, sea it does. Um, it's great. It's just it's just such a beautiful film. And um, even though it's in the future, like the 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 nicest looking bits are the natural bits. You know, yeah. The, the, the very good point, man. Um, very very good he, point. He finally um, he has all these races with his brother, and he finally wins one, doesn't he? So he mm. he convinces himself that he can go beyond his genetic capabilities what he's been told that his life is and he he's like i can actually do better than this and then and yeah he's convinced he's he wants to fulfill his dreams of being a to go into space and and which he wouldn't be allowed normally because of all his defects fail all the uh genetic testing beforehand yeah because he really wants to work for (laughs) (laughs) which is is that is that that's the name of the company right so there's yeah yeah, it is yeah who do these um who do these trips to, to, is it Titan, one of Saturn's moons? A moon on Saturn, yeah. It's Ace. Yeah, and, and he's he enlists the help of, um, how do you say this dude's name? Jeebs out of Men in Black. Who's Tony like, Shalub. <laughs> Tony Shalub. Uh, he, en- <laughs> he enlists the help of him to cheat the system, who then introduces him to uh, Jerome, played by Jude Law. You know, he's a bit of a dick, Jude Law, isn't he, to begin with? He's a bit of I, a- just think, I think he's so good at this. This, I mean, like smarmy, arrogant turnip character. <laughs> but then he thaws, doesn't he? As the movie goes, he does. On, like... Yeah, he really does. I think, I think Jude Law is this. This, I think, this is my favorite Jude Law performance. Actually, it's so good watching this in retrospect because this is nineteen ninety seven, as we said earlier, just just before he's about to pop. I think um, talented Mister Ripley comes out in nineteen ninety nine, and that's the one. And then. F- in, from 2000 to about 2006 he's in every movie ever made <laughs> between that period 
Um, but you're just like, oh, right, oh, well, he's a movie star, obviously. If you were watching that for the first time without having that knowledge, it's like, who the fuck is this guy? Because he's an absolute movie star. They offered that role yeah. to Johnny Depp, apparently. Did they? And he turned it down to go and do something else. And, uh, yeah, but I don't think they could have cast it any better. He's absolutely superb in this movie. Absolutely right. And he's got the best story, the best character arc of anyone in the whole movie as well. And I love that... Um, that overall theme of of this that is you can plan for everything you can make all the right cho- choices based on stats and numbers but what you can't legislate for is chance mm, yeah. you know and that can derail anything at any point um uh, yeah but didn't he didn't he try and commit suicide though yeah but the impact the, the fact that it wouldn't kill him it would only maim him essentially yeah. and leave him unable to to do all the things that he was famous for originally because he was a Amazing. swimmer, wasn't he? He was an Olympic swimmer. He and was, it, yeah. The inference is, is that he had all these genetic advantages and he went to the Olympics or wherever it was and he still only came in second. And the inference is, is that that wasn't good enough and all the pressure that he'd possibly suffered because of what he was supposed to achieve because of his genetic advantages, he wasn't able to and that led and to depression achieve, yeah. and then he attempted suicide. It's tragic. It is. It is a tragic story. Yeah. His future was mapped out for him purely based on these genetics, and they just completely forget about the environment and the world around him. Yeah, and what actually can happen. And there's a lot of that in this film, isn't yeah, there? You've is. got the parallels of Vincent, who is destined to not do anything and die at 32, going beyond those capabilities, and then you've got Jerome, who is destined to be, you know, perfect specimen of a human, who falls short of those expectancies. And it's like that's what this wor- world is creating. This this weird binary of whether you're going to be successful in life or not successful in life based on purely science yeah, and not about environment and nature versus nurture and all that sort of stuff. And it's just really interesting that the whole... Yeah, it's a great... Every character yeah. has got... It's, it's a really good setup and a really... How, how the film's set up in this first half hour and then the second half hour of him and Jude Law becoming this one person and then how it ends up as well... It's just, I just thought it's really, it's really interesting film. And it's provocative, yeah. isn't it? It's thought provoking yeah, yeah. this. These are big, big themes. And they're so well played out for me, you know. And, and this is a, a future that you can imagine. There's a, a lot of books along these kind of lines that really, really, sorry, a lot of discussion about this. And, you know, on one hand, it's like, um, What's the word? It's conjecture, isn't it? When you imagine something and you wonder if it's going to happen like this certain way. There's a book called Q by Christina Dalcher, which looks at this, not about um, physical attributes, but uh, educational attributes. You know, should you persist with having a child if you know that educationally they're going to be in a, a lower percentage than other students? You know, that kind of thing, you know. And it's like, it all feels very close to home and very real, doesn't it, this? Feels like it's not. This is a future, but it's not that far away, and it's scary. It feels probably more relevant now than it did at the time. Hundred percent when man. it came out. I, I I think, and maybe that's why the the reaction was more lukewarm when it first came out because people couldn't relate to it in in that way. Yeah, but yeah, a lot of these ideas that are inherent within within the material don't feel that far-fetched i mean obviously outside of the science aspect but the actual themes that they're digging into of class and discrimination and ethics and you know as we said and fate and you know whether you're what you're told as a person 
defines how you then what you then grow up to be. That all feels really, really relevant now. It really does, man. Yeah. Really, really does. Um, on that topic of, you know, um, <laughs> I love how we've talked about all this and this wasn't the thing that that reviewer was upset about. <laughs> this, it was some arbitrary thing about, you know, <laughs> leg surgery, future leg surgery. Um, if there's anything you want to, that I would advise this reviewer to get upset about, it's the fact that um, Jude Law, uh, sorry, not Jude Law, Ethan Hawke has to... Um, carry on that he is essentially Jude Law's character using all of his genetic material. So he's got to take blood and urine with him everywhere, you know, to try and pass this off. Fingerprints and all that kind of stuff. And this is why he scours his own body for, you know, bits that, you know, of of genetic material that might fall off. Yeah. Um, So when he goes into the office, he has to do um, a test, doesn't he, with Lamar. And Lamar has a machine that you put any body fluid in this thing and it's got one button and it just says analyze. <laughs> That's the point where you the need future. to be. The, yeah, this is the future. I mean, it's a fax machine with one Welcome button. Welcome to the world of tomorrow. <laughs> uh, I mean, what else does it analyze? Can I just stick a banana in there and just press the button? Will it just give me an answer? Um, yeah, I, I, this leads us to Gattaca, doesn't it? And Gattaca is... Um, an interesting sterile environment. Yeah, it's a space program, isn't it? Essentially, mm. where it's the elite of the elite, and everyone in there is wanting to get on a mission. And we should also say at this point, there's been a murder. Yes, there is a murder mystery element. Yeah, to yeah, this yeah. Movie. <laughs> it's quite important, and it's graphic too. Oh yeah, oh yeah. He's been beaten to death with a keyboard, and it's a big ergonomic bastard as well. Big, he's absolutely big, gone chunky, to town on it. Big chunky keyboard. <laughs> Yeah, there's not. It's a very niche part of movies, isn't it? Keyboard assault. Yeah. Um, the only other one I can think of is in um, the Wanted uh, McAvoy uh, movie Wanted. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Chris, Pratt. Chris Pratt across the face. Yeah, yeah. It's the only other one I can think of. They've got the market cornered, lads. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I like. I mean, to be honest, I like everything. A murder mystery plays out, and it's really a cat and mouse game uh, between the cops that are on the tail. The um, Alan Arkin is one of them. I'm not 100 percent familiar with Arkin's filmography, but um, he's hugely watchable, isn't he? He's just great. He's just this character in everything that he does. This sardonic, yeah, uh, seen it all before kind of guy. Very cynical, uh, and yeah, he's absolutely fantastic. Uh, so what actually happens is that there's a murder at Gattaca and one of Ethan Hawke's eyelashes gets found at the crime scene. And through analysis, they're able to determine that he that there's someone in the building is not who they say that they are. So they're probably the person who committed that murder. So then Alan Arkin and Bombshell, <laughs> Anton, Vincent's genetically superior brother is now on his tail trying to find out who this invalid is, who the uh, what they're tagged as, to find out who they are because they probably committed the murder. Yeah, it's an interesting comment on the assumption of guilt if it doesn't fit a certain class bracket. Absolutely, and, and there's, there's a ticking clock element, isn't there, because he's got this mission to Saturn that he's been earmarked for and it's going at the end of the week, so he has to try and evade them before, the, uh, before this mission... Uh, so that he doesn't end up getting arrested and charged with murder, essentially. So it adds a nice little ticking clock it does, element to it. It's yeah. not a high octane movie, this, but it does have those sort of thriller undertones and noir oh, undertones yeah. to it. Definitely feels like a thriller in that sense. Um, 
and this is he starts to um, engage with Irene, who's played by um, uh, Uma Thurman. She's all about control, isn't she? And she's brilliant at that. But when the control sort of crumbles, she's also completely brilliant at displaying that as well and conveying that to the audience. Uh, just to go back slightly, the twist reveal that the cop was his brother. I absolutely love that. It broadsided me. I'm dense as a plank. I didn't see it coming. <laughs> really exciting. Brilliant music all the way through. Um, the the shot selection as we go through this film, everything feels like it's completely on purpose. Nothing is left to chance, but not just that, but everything is done with a narrative meaning and purpose in mind yeah. and everything adds to the greater whole here. Um, and for me, that makes me think that Nickel is an absolutely stellar filmmaker, which is amazing when I look back at his filmography, that it's not denser than it is. There's enough in this film to suggest that he he is a talented dude, like a really talented dude. He's an incredible screenwriter, for certain, mm. yeah. that's for sure. And this is a beautiful-looking movie. So, you know, and to be honest with you, I've seen a number of his films, like the opening of Lord of War. Of course, I've seen it. It's got Cage in it. Right. <laughs> <laughs> that opening sequence to Lord of War is one of the best openings to a yeah. film I've ever seen. The, the film is okay. It's it's fine. It's not it's not as good as this. Uh, but Good Kill that he did quite recently, or about six or seven years ago, with Ethan Hawke as Ethan Hawke as this sort of uh, drone pilot who is just completely at the end of his tether because he goes from his house in Las Vegas and sits in a storage container all day and drops bombs on people. It's a really effective thriller. It's very good. So he's a very good filmmaker. Mm. Also a Kiwi as well, like uh, like Peter Jackson from last week. So you'd think oh, that we plan this stuff out, <laughs> but we don't. That's a complete coincidence. <laughs> wow. I didn't know that. I, I, going back to um, uh, Anton and, and Alan Arkin's character as well, as he called Hugo, yeah. I really liked how even though Alan Arkin is older and more experienced as a cop, he is below Anton in the hierarchy yeah. of, of cops purely again because of this idea that he he's better than you because his genetics tell him he is. And there's various points in it where Alan Arkin has these ideas to be, you know, investigate the murder and go, well, we should do this and we should do that. But he always has to sort of stand down because of authority, even though he's the more experienced than he is the you know, his head works better because he's been in the job longer. There's obviously those ulterior motives for Anton because he's sort of pulling himself back, isn't he? Because he knows it's his brother. Yeah. yeah. Which we kind of don't, you know, we're not supposed to know that until the very end. I didn't. <laughs> I, I thought it was, I thought you were supposed to twig it, you know, when they, so there's a scene when he's out on a date with Uma Thurman, isn't it? And, it, and the cops are really stepping up. They've, they've tried taking blood directly from the vein because other methods can be uh uh can be manipulated because they're not they've searched for this guy for this invalid is is it invalid or invalid i'm not sure yeah they, they keep saying invalid in the film but yeah. um the spelling is the same uh it's a fruitless search so far so they start raiding night spots don't they random checks and things like that and there's a moment where uma thurman and uh ethan hawke's character they escape from the bar and run away and then it was at this point, I don't know if you're supposed to twig it earlier, but it was at this point that I realised that the, it was his brother who was in pursuit of him because he starts shouting Vincent down the uh, down the alleyway oh, yeah, after yeah. him, doesn't he? And I went, at that point, I had to run it back. I went, are they supposed to be brothers? Oh, yeah, of course. Mm, yeah. <laughs> I think I, because think I, I, I'd, I'd forgot, but I, th I think I twigged when 
he was in Gattaca and he was looking through the the footage and uh, Alan Arkin walks in and catches him looking at the he's got yeah. um, Vincent's proper ID on the screen and then Hugo comes in and he's like oh shit and he turns it off and it's like oh shit he's, he's his brother that's why he's not that's why he's holding back and he he knows he can catch him but he's kind of derailing the police a wee bit and diverting them a wee bit to sort of let let his brother off the off the hook so they can figure out who the actual murderer is and they do figure out who the actual murderer is um and it's it's Hugo who finds it out he he's just doing his job thoroughly and he finds um is it saliva <laughs> on the dead body on the cadaver he said was it saliva on the eyeball yeah, yeah. something like that like, what did he do like have that <laughs> <laughs> Open your eye. <laughs> and it turns out to be the um the mission director who was actually the murderer. Yeah. So they're all really you know, it's it's not Vincent who's done it, but there's still the issue of him committing fraud, basically. They have another race, don't they? Him and his brother have another swimming race for old time's sake. Yeah. He's never gotten over the fact that when they were teenagers he beat him in that in that swimming race <laughs> that they used to have. And he's like, I'll prove it to you. I can beat you. And he's like, all right, then let's let's go and do it. So they have a lovely little naked swim, don't they? In very Midnight choppy swim. waters. <laughs> yeah. yeah, they did. Um, lovely filmmaking again in this in this bit because it mirrors a shot of the two brothers going out. Earlier in the film, when they go out in a green sea going off to swim, they're going uh, one way. Um, in this sequence, they're going another. Yeah. Lovely. You know, like it, it just... Um, that's the kind of thing that, oh, God, elite people think about, elite filmmakers, elite storytellers think about. Absolutely. Nothing's accidental, is it? That's like, it, things isn't it? Yeah. Done, but yeah That's nothing's it. accidental or by chance. There's a lot of thought gone into every shot in these movies. It's a mad choice in a lot of ways. Because it had been um, such a heavy part of the narrative, I completely went along with it, but I love the idea that, right... We're together at last. Swimming race? Should we, should we have a midnight storm-laden swimming race? Should we do that? It's thematically rich, isn't it? So it comes It back. is, yeah, yeah. it is. Um, this, Yeah, this is the night. Is it? Is this the night before they all go off? I mean, he's going to space the following day. Yeah. Um, he gets back. Jude Law gives him an um, envelope, says, don't read it until you're, you know, you're up, up and about. And a lifetime supply of piss and blood. Right? Yeah. yeah, yeah, lovely stuff. Lovely stuff. Um, which is, you know, and, and his character has gone full circle. I don't feel like we've talked about Jude Law enough here, really, because um, we're trying to, you know, we're obviously trying to get through the film, but Jude Law's role here, he's he's kept popping, he's kept peppering this film with these brilliant, sarcastic, bitter moments right the way yeah. through. And it's been a brilliant performance. Um, and yeah, he, he ends up sort of making um, a, a hefty sacrifice to essentially give... He gives himself to Vincent, doesn't he, really? He does, You yeah. take over from here. And he hops into... Uh, I thought it was like a lovely shower sauna, but no, it's an incinerator. Yeah. And uh, his, he he goes up in smoke. He does, yeah. I mean, it's it's heartbreaking, isn't it, really? I, I'm, yeah, you've actually, I think you've read it correctly. I just read it as that, that he's been so... Because he was sort of a broken man when Vincent came to him initially, that this caper has sort of given him... A new lease of life, and uh, Vincent is going to Saturn for for a year, and he might, he may or may not come back. We don't know how, whether this uh, heart condition that he supposedly has is actually real or not. And I read it as that he couldn't live without his friend for that time. Like he's oh crisp, 
and um, you know, his life would without having Vincent with him, he would his life would he wouldn't have anybody else because he has to because in order to keep Vincent's cover, he can't go out and live in the world essentially because he's not supposed to be on the planet. Um, but I think <laughs> Rob, you've actually read it correctly is that he's made it so that so that Vincent can continue his life if he returns he can be c- carry on being Jerome and go on further uh, adventures I'm, when yeah. he returns from Saturn did I actually get something wow no I, I um either way I thought you know it was great uh, this moment I thought it was really good um and he reads this he's obviously he's got a good thing going with Uma Thurman by this point she's invested in the whole Vincent Jerome thing and you know he goes off to space with this brilliant uh, I love this last piece of voiceover you know they say that we're all made up of of stars or something like that and maybe I'm you know maybe I'm going home mm-hmm. uh, it's just so hopeful and um ponderous but yeah, I, I just thought it was. Um, yeah, the the film ends there. The score is rousing as we finish, and it's just uh, we finish. Uh, it, I'm left thinking this is just great. This has been such a great experience. I've loved it. Um, Shall we go into our best bits then, gentlemen? There was a bit near the start when um, Jude Law, when they when they first meet, and he's 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 quite angry. Jude Law at this point, and he shows him his silver medal, even though he's this physically superior being you know it's still not good enough and he's he's still even though he's expected to win this race he still comes second um and that just sums up the whole film that little bit that little story about him and his silver medal just like sums up the the idea behind the whole film and then you get that with a scene just before the end with um tard from terminator 2 <laughs> lamar he's called and he's doing the test and Ethan Hawke, uh, Vincent just 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 does it normally, and he goes, "I'm just going to fail, you know. I'm I'm not. Oh yeah, I can't pass this thing." And he and he goes on, and every time he sees Lamar, who's this who's this sort of doctor, he keeps trying to tell him about his son, but he never sort of listens. It never entertains it. And then he says, "Oh, I never told you about my son. He like he, he, you're his hero because my son's got all these genetic deficiencies as well, but he looks at you and what you can achieve." And that's inspirational to him. Yeah. And I just thought those two bits were like the two sides of the coin summed up really well for what the whole message of the film is. I totally agree. Um, Lamar was in on it the whole... Not in on it, but he knew the whole time, didn't he? It's an incredible um, reveal. I've got. It written, is a great reveal. Because I've got the same moment, Si, because I see this as the most profound knob gag of all time. <laughs> yes! Basically. So, because it's set up right in the first act. So Lamar's whole it thing, is. isn't it, is that he has to stand there and watch all the astronauts do their piss tests, like literally watch them doing it. And it's set up in the first act, and he's, he he makes like a weird joke about Ethan Hawke's knob, saying that like, oh, I wish my parents had had one of those manufactured for me, you know, like. <laughs> then he puts it in the machine, and then when he comes back later on, the reveal is that he always knew that he wasn't who he said he was because this is established earlier in the film. Um, Jerome is right-handed and Vincent is left-handed, but every time he'd do his piss test, he'd hold his old man with his with his left hand, basically, <laughs> right? And it's just an, but it's so profound because the reveal is that I knew you weren't who you were supposed to be, but I think the way that we determine people of value in this society is not accurate. You are a person of value. You are as good yeah. as anybody else who's in there, 
I discovered this because I look at people taking pisses all day. <laughs> I, I know that you weren't using your own urine, that you weren't right-handed like you claimed you were, but because of my relationship with my son and what he's going through and what you have gone on to prove, you deserve this because you are as capable and as worthwhile as all these other people. Yes. It's Superb. Just, yeah. It's just brilliant, and it's the best knob gag ever, I think. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't agree more. The, um, to keep on a urine-themed uh, favourite bits... <laughs> There's a lot of urine in this, fellas. <laughs> there is a, quite a bit of urine. Uh, my word was Jude Law... Sorry, Jerome Vincent. Uh, dehydrated earlier in this film. Came out looking like Mountain Dew. Um, <laughs> the, uh, obviously, Jude Law has to um, keep giving his urine samples all the time. And at one point... Uh, uh, Vincent looks at it and says there's more vodka in this piss than piss <laughs> that's an excellent line uh, but no my favourite bit is actually it's it's one of those those moments in a movie where like it gets you really excited as a viewer when you think oh my god how is this going to play out and will it happen and it always used to happen so brilliantly in stuff like Breaking Bad and stuff but um, here it's when the police Anton asks whether he can go to um, what's-his-face to see Jerome, who's having a sick day or whatever, and ask Uma Thurman to take him there. And they get there, and Uma Thurman is also like, I don't know what I'm going to find here. Because she's just sent Vincent off at, you know, to go hide uh, back at Gattaca. Um, and they weigh, the way that they all play this scene where Uma's pretending to be with... Jude Law, but they've never actually met before, and she's suddenly realising about the duplicity of the whole thing while Ethan Hawke is downstairs. And and now in retrospect, knowing that it's the brother, it's his brother. Yeah. It's a super scene. It's my favourite scene in the whole film. I absolutely loved it. So yeah, favourite bit for me. And that lead up as well of Jude Law dragging himself up the helix staircase yes. as well. Like, oh, it's just yes. Not a wheelchair friendly home. <laughs> no, <laughs> no. Oh <laughs> uh, dear! Interestingly, you know the the um, staircase shaped like a helix. Yeah, DNA. Very good. <laughs> um, Smart cookies, this lot, aren't they? Yeah, they, they've got it all going on, haven't they? Uh, so, for your reconsideration, Sai, you will go last. James, what do you think? Oh, I really like this film. Uh, it intelligently explores themes around class, fate, and ethics within scientific advances, while also succeeding as a genre piece. Uh, the cast are excellent. It's gorgeous to look at. Lots of lovely ice-cold blues, which I enjoyed. And uh, the hauntingly beautiful score from Michael Nyman is absolutely sublime. It's a precise and elegant film with a lot on its mind, so I wouldn't necessarily throw it on for a knees-up on a Friday night. <laughs> but if you're in the mood for a cerebral slice of thought-provoking science fiction, this would be a very good choice, particularly if you haven't seen it before. Wicked. Yeah, um, total agreement. This was a massive surprise to me um, in terms of... No, I don't know whether it was a surprise. I always knew it would look good from the early images I saw back in 97. But I just didn't know that the film would be as good as it is. I think with Andrew Nichol, um, I don't often use this expression. Um, and this is a gatekeeping expression, so we're probably going to get our bottom smacked. But um, is this the work of an auteur, this? This is... Um, 
superb. This is next level filmmaking for me. And it goes right across the board from Nickel himself as writer-director. All the cast are absolutely sensational. The look of the film is astonishing, which goes back to our man, Iziak. And... Yeah, the score, Nyman's score, I think, could be one of the most underrated scores I've ever heard because no one ever talks about it. Um, so um, I will definitely be writing um, tomorrow with uh, the Gattaca score on. Um, so, yeah. Gattaca! It, it, um, it'll be super. It, no, sorry. It, it is all brilliant. Um, I think it's a forgotten gem, which is the exact purpose why we do this podcast. So, yes. Yeah, man. Absolutely. Do it. Absolutely. Ty, you, what do you think? Obviously, you like it. <laughs> yeah, great. No, <laughs> I, no, I don't rate it. <laughs> it just reminds me of my horrible biology teacher. Uh, no, um, I'm so glad you guys liked it as much as you did. I, I just think, in addition to what you guys have said, I just think it's a really poetic movie. Um, and there's so much thought gone into like usual, into usually incidental things like the naming of the characters and all the philosophical elements within this world that are both visually like the helix staircase and things like that and and what's in the script as well I, every single detail of this film has been meticulously thought about and put on film and it it just makes for a really intriguing film a visually beautiful film um and i absolutely adore the retro future aesthetic that combines brutalist architecture with the gorgeous mid mid-century look and feel they go to like a like a, a speaky it looks like a speakeasy at one point. Yeah, they do. Like, like shows and tables and, and you know you know, watching a show from a, a little side table. It might be a little subdued come the climax, you know, as good old Mick LaSalle said, it might it might need a bit of adrenaline pumped in, maybe a wee bit in terms of the action. But I just think there's a genuine uniqueness about the film that deserves a lot of credit and therefore more attention than what it's obviously got over the years. Um so yeah, I'm glad I saw that shot of it on this Instagram feed and yeah. made me want to watch it and watch oh, it again. Oh man, I'm glad. It's a great movie. I'm glad. It's a great movie. It's really good. I'm so jealous. This is a first watch for you, Rob. Although it was that long ago that I yeah. saw it initially, that I I didn't remember. I I don't know if I processed it as well. I like to think I'm more intelligent now than I was back when I first saw it. <laughs> um, and maybe I was expecting a few more car chases or gun shootouts or something like that, but I don't think that would have fit within this movie. No, to be no way. No way. Uh, no, it's, this is classy. This is a classy, classy film with big ideas and it's superbly executed. Um, I'm staggered, really, that it doesn't have much more of a cult following. Maybe it does, maybe we're missing that, but it really should. Um, and again, I'm going to add it again, Gattaca as a title is superb. Um, fun to say. It is. Gattaca! Sorry, that was an 80s power rock vibe. Sorry, I did. Could do all sorts totally of unexpected. Um, you can. It's endless. Uh, Brilliant tonight, lads. Thank you so much for uh, for everything. Thank you so much for listening, everyone at home. Next time, we are going to... Oh, yeah. I, we had an agreement that I wasn't allowed to touch any of my sort of, like, faves into until the new year. So next time, it's JCVD and oh, Time yes. Cop. Oh, oh yeah. Yes. 
Another classy piece of cerebral sci-fi. <laughs> <laughs> yes, another dystopian take that's that will be very, very classy and worthy. Uh, can't I can't wait. Days. Absolutely can't I wait. Peter Hyams coming back to the pod. Oh, really? Oh, this is great. Oh, well, I cannot wait. So excited. Um, so, yeah, please tune in for that. Um, lads, thank you very much. Thank you, listeners. Keep chatting with us on at FYR Film Pod. We're on Insta now. Oh, we are. We're cheeky it's, little uh, Insta people. Exhausting. And, can I tell you? <laughs> yes. Yeah, Sam is doing an amazing job on there, and can I tell you that our Insta is one of the fittest I've ever seen. Um, are we at, at FYI nice. Film Pod on there as well? We are, yes. I think it's excellent same. at FYI well, Film Pod on Insta, and uh, give us your five stars and your subscription service of choice. Um, yeah, say goodbye, boys. Bye, 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 bye. I'm off to go and start a massive Twitter firestorm and block everyone who I don't like. <laughs> Bye! <laughs> I do that anyway. <laughs>